was told to tell you that the kids are dismissed to Big City. So kids, you can head that direction. Um, how was your week? Good to see you guys all here um, on this rainy morning, as Pam was just saying. Um, we got an opportunity to actually go this week, a couple days with the kids to uh, a cabin that someone let us borrow in McCall. And yesterday morning, Wendy and I were kind of just hanging out early, um, just barely a little bit of light outside, and there was this herd of, of elk out in the front yard looking at us like we were the weird ones. But <clears throat> this morning, we actually got an opportunity to drive out from there to here, and we ran into that same group of elk, and this huge bull elk was standing there like he wanted to beat us up. And uh, um, But thankfully, we had... Um, we were inside the car, so he didn't do that to us, but um, always good to be in a place where you're just enjoying God's creation. I was just almost mesmerizing looking out the windows at the mountains and the snow and, and all of that, and just thinking about his beautiful creation. Um, we're starting into our third week of a sermon series called Marked, Called by the Savior. And really, our conversation um, has, has been about the fact that we aren't just called to live a good moral life. Um, God calls us to something more than that. Um, the description of life with God that we see in Scripture over and over and over again is that he, at times, calls us to some very specific things, right? Specific Callings almost specific to us in a way that our fingerprints are specific to us. It's kind of the conversation um, around that type of uh, um, thought process. The picture that we have with the series is a fingerprint. Um, we've looked at all sorts of characters in Scripture. We've looked at Adam and Eve. We've looked at Noah, Abraham, Joseph in the Old Testament, uh, Moses, David, Samuel, Mary, and Joseph, and in the Christmas story, we've looked at um, Philip in the book of Acts. The list just goes on and on and on. These people that God um, called to very specific things, right? In fact, I think we literally, I've never tried to, but looked at every character in the Bible. And it's often not just morality that he's calling us to. It's, it's something uh, of a almost step-by-step -step instructions at times. Um, pretty interesting to think about. And, and because this seems to be the case, the next step in our conversation in this series has been that if God truly leads this way, then how do we best live into that kind of life with him? And the first thing that we talked about, the first step in this is belief, right? If we are going to follow God in this way, in a way that he, we can follow his prompts in our life, uh, we better start with believing that that's actually the way he works, Right? Or we're going to miss it. We just won't notice the things that he's calling us to. And we talked about how often Jesus talked about eyes to see and ears to hear. We see that often in Jesus' communication. And he's not just talking about physical eyes and physical ears, is he? He's talking about spiritual things, being able to see spiritual things, being able to see what God is doing so that we can better cooperate with him, right? And part of developing eyes and ears is, is being patient, as patient as God is with us growing in him, right? That our understanding about how God works and what he wants from us, it doesn't happen instantly where we're experts at that, right? This comes with time and experience. And we even looked at Jesus' childhood last week, um, kind of interesting to think about, that even Jesus developed in this idea in the Gospel of Luke, where we were looking in chapter 2, we see in Scripture this crazy idea that Jesus grew. And isn't that an odd thing to think about, that Jesus grew? Uh, Luke 2, verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And as we talked about last week, Jesus spent 30 years preparing for what God the Father had for him. I mean, do we ever think about that? living into this process of growing in his, his understanding of God. <laughs> I mean, it didn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight for us, right? It's almost as if God 
the Father wanted Jesus to be an example to us in this. That because we see that Jesus grew in his understanding of the way God works, that, that we also ought to continue to grow in our understanding of God, right? I mean, we need to, as Jesus did, build structure into our lives where we consistently, daily spend time listening and talking to God, right? And reading scripture and taking time to look back in our lives at how God worked and how he might work in the future. Um, spending time in conversation not only with him, but with people who are also trying to grow in their understanding of God. True? How important are these things in our lives? Super important if we're going to grow and actually follow and be used by God. So this morning I want to continue this conversation looking into Jesus specifically, his life, um, to see if we might be able to find some more pointers uh, into how that, this life with God works, this life following God's lead. And if you were with us last week, we left off with the story in Luke 3 of Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, and it really was an important moment in Jesus' life where God confirmed who Jesus was, right? So everyone who was there, and we certainly have important moments similar to that in our lives where we where we have these huge moments actually where we where we surrender our ways to him right and one of the cool things about thinking about all these important moments in our lives with God is that we when we go through difficult times we can look back and think well God was with us in that situation so God's going to be with us in this situation right I mean, it's a continuation of understanding how God is always with us. And Jesus certainly had some difficult times in his earthly life as he followed God. In fact, next, the next story we're going to look at, um, it's the next story in Luke 4, but it's also in Matthew 4. And if you want to flip with me there, um, there's kind of a training time for Jesus. Kind of interesting to think that Jesus might have went through a training time um, Maybe even kind of a basic training to get him ready for those difficult moments in his life, um, his ministry. We see Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. And what was he being led by the Spirit to do? <laughs> to be tempted. That sounds like a, a fun retreat, right? <laughs> How about you go up there and you just meet with the devil? And uh, I mean, it's a crazy story, right? But, but it begins with Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And that was really the beginning of the temptations, right? Now, why did Jesus have to do this? Why would Jesus go through something like this? Let me just ask you this question. I mean, do we ever have times when we choose to rely on our own strength instead of actually going to God and asking for his help? Do we, does that ever happen to us? Oh, yeah, right? All the time. <laughs> In fact, this is probably one of the biggest problems that human beings have with God, trying to do it alone, trying to live your life as if God doesn't exist. Right? You think that problem is new with humanity? Look at the story of Adam and Eve. In essence, what were they wanting? They were wanting to know right from wrong without having to ask God. <laughs> it's the same story, right? Same problem, wanting to go through life without God's help. This problem is as old as time. Now think about Jesus. Unlike us, he actually had a fighting chance of doing it by himself in his own strength. True? <laughs> so it would have been even more tempting for Jesus than us to live life without the help of God the Father. I mean, have you ever thought about that before? Jesus needed to face those temptations as he was beginning his ministry so that he could be reminded of all the different kinds of temptations that the tempter was going to bring at him, right? As he's trying to follow God. I mean, you could almost hear the tempter saying, oh, come on, Jesus. You don't need God the Father. You're the Son of God. Look at how powerful you are. You can do this on your own. Make yourself some bread. 
And these are really good reminders for us as we try to live into this life with God, right? We so easily, as we learn and grow in our knowledge of God, we can even shift into autopilot, right? I mean, God finally tells us what he wants us to do, and oh, oh, I've got it from here. Don't worry about it, God. I'll just, I'll just do it my own. I'll do it myself. <laughs> it's going to be okay. <laughs> and we end up missing the point. What is the point? God wants to do life with us. <laughs> you think that's true? God wants to do life with us that is not an inconvenience at all for him to help us. In fact, he likes it. <laughs> that's his desire for us, that we would rely on him. And as, as we've been talking, his ways are always best, right? So we can trust him that trusting him is the best choice. True? But how in the world are we going to pull that off, trusting him, when we just love to take the bull by the horn? Well, we're going to have to choose that moment after moment after moment after moment. I mean, if you're anything like me anyway. Maybe you aren't. Maybe you don't struggle with that. <laughs> Praise the Lord <laughs> if you don't. And this next part of Jesus' life that we're going to get into, I wanted to spend the rest of this morning, this this. The story that comes next. Jesus begins his public ministry by calling men and women to follow him, to be his disciples, right? And I believe today we have the same invitation. God is calling us. Jesus is calling us to be his students, to embrace his life and teaching in really every area of our life. This applies to us. This part of the story. So let's continue in the story. Still in Matthew chapter 4. Skip ahead to verse 18. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That's what they were. <laughs> Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Now, this is really what we've been talking about, right? This calling of God. That God doesn't just call the disciples to be nice or moral. There's more to the story. There's nothing wrong with that. Certainly involved in the calling of God, right, is to be good people. But it was more specific than that. What was the call in this, this story that we just read? Follow Jesus, right? Literally, follow Jesus, <laughs> First, he saw these two brothers, Andrew and Peter. They were casting their fishing nets into the sea. Um, we've talked about this story quite a bit. These guys were fishermen, right? And back in those days, that meant their dad was a fisherman. And probably their grandpa was a fisherman. And their great-grandpa was a fisherman. That's what they did. That's the only thing they knew. That was their training. They were experts at that, right? And what did Jesus call them to do? He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers, not of fish, but of men. Is that, is that different than fishing for fish? Doug, is that different from fishing for fish, fishing for men? Probably is, right? I mean, what do they even know about fishing for men? Honestly. Probably nothing, Right? And, and what did they even know about this guy that was calling them Jesus in the beginning, right? Probably not much, right? How much do we really know about what God is calling us to do? Is that okay if we don't know exactly what he's calling us? I mean, if we don't have the skill set that we need, we see that in Scripture, don't we? That God might actually call us even to something that we don't know anything about. In fact, that might even help us in this conversation about relying on God, right? Trusting in his strength, that he would call us to some crazy place, like, um, yeah, we won't get into that conversation this morning. Um, and yet, notice their response in verse 20. You see it? At once, immediately, 
They left their nets. They left their past, right? Everything that they thought they knew, they left it behind and followed Jesus. Is there ever any risk in following Jesus, responding to his call? Now, keep following the story. Jesus continued walking along the Sea of Galilee. He encounters another set of brothers, James and John. And they were in a fishing boat, too. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. But this time, they had their dad right in the fishing boat with them. And what did Jesus do? Verse 21 says, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father this time and followed him. I mean, they too responded by immediately leaving their boat, again, everything they know, their father, to follow Jesus. Do we see any principles here in following Jesus? When Jesus calls how much do we really need to know about what we're getting into? Nothing. <laughs> and what should we do? Go. Immediately. All four Gospels, in fact, continue to tell us these stories of, of Jesus calling people, right? Calling. Calling people to follow him. And become what? His disciples. This is what we've been talking about, becoming a disciple. Now, what exactly is a disciple? We don't use the word disciple a ton these days. The Greek word actually for disciple here in the, in the New Testament is methetis. <laughs> the Greek-English lexicon of the New Testament defines the word methetis to mean learner or pupil, a follower or a disciple of someone in the sense of adhering to the teachings or instructions of a leader and in promoting the cause of such a leader. Dallas Willard, a scholar on this, defines following Jesus as being an apprentice of Jesus. When you think of an apprentice, that's someone who's, got a, who's an excellent person in some area, right? That's teaching someone else to learn that trade, whatever that trade might be, right? So Dallas Willard says it this way, as Jesus' disciple... I am his apprentice in kingdom living. I'm learning from him how to lead my life in the kingdom of the heavens as he would lead my life if he were I. An interesting thought, isn't it? Thinking about what Jesus would do if he had our lives. And this really was an important piece in figuring out how to better cooperate with God. Being used by him for specific things, specific callings. We we have to understand what we're being called to be as we enter into this life of following Jesus, right? And what we're being called to be is a disciple of Jesus, a follower, an apprentice. And being an apprentice of Jesus means to practice his way of doing life, right? and truly ordering our lives around the purposes of life that he orders his life around, which would include responding to the call of God as God is giving instructions. True? And this, this is important enough that we will spend the next few weeks looking at what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. But, but just to kind of get us started into this conversation, we're going to look at Three things that Jesus wants us as his disciples to center our lives on, okay? So first of all, I think we can see that following Jesus means being with him. It was a lot easier back then when Jesus was walking, walking alongside of that lake to say, hey, follow me. So what would the disciples have done? They would have just physically got up and followed him. That's not exactly what we have the option in doing, but it, it is included in actually following Jesus. Look at Mark 3, verse 14. Jesus appointed 12 that might be with him and that we, he might send them out to preach. Now, typically, I think when we talk about disciples of Jesus, 
we usually just jump maybe straight to the preaching part, right? Well, let's not skip the first thing that's mentioned. Do you see it? So that they might be with him. So that they might be with him. Now, I know this sounds really basic, but it's worth saying. You can't really be a disciple of Jesus without spending time with Jesus, right? You know that, right? Now, some might think, well, how can we actually spend time with Jesus? We can't do it like the disciples in the first century. What do we have to do? I mean, he's up in heaven. Well, I agree with that. Scholar Craig Conway actually talks about that. He says, unfortunately, we cannot be with Jesus exactly the way Matthew, Bartholomew, Philip, Thomas, and the other disciples were. We can't run up to him physically and give him a high five. We can't sit down with him over coffee and ask him to explain more about the creation of the cosmos. Uh, Maybe someday we'll get that opportunity, right? Nor can we sit next to him, eat some fish with him, laugh together. However... We can be with Jesus anytime, anytime, through prayer, right? When Jesus was on the planet, they couldn't be with Jesus anytime. <laughs> we actually have an advantage over them in this, right? And we can draw near to our Heavenly Father whenever we desire through the spiritual disciplines. When we're doing things that He calls us to do, that He wants us to do, we are drawing near to God, right? And even though Jesus has ascended to the Father in heaven, he is still with us through the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. What is Conway getting at? It might look different than the first century disciples, (laughs) but you still got to spend time with Jesus. Talk to him through prayer. Read about him in the scriptures. Don't get tired of reading the Gospels. I I talk to a lot of people this time of year. Well, I'm reading through Leviticus. Oh, I'm dying. Trying to read through the whole Bible. It's okay to read the Gospels. That's that's, that's where you see Jesus. Not that you shouldn't read the whole Bible at some point, but, but look at Jesus. Grow in your understanding of who he is. Saturate your life with Jesus. Get to know him. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to spend time with him. It's him that you are following, right? This is important. (laughs) You remember the story about Mary and Martha in Luke 10, beginning with verse 38. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Martha, Martha. I, I always like to put three Marthas in there. Cause, is that the Brady Bunch? Or, I mean, yeah. Martha, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The truth is there are a lot of good things that the disciples of Jesus, including us, need to be about. Things that we need to be doing. And serving is obviously one of those super important things, right? But if we want to understand the ways of God and discover our calling as followers of Christ, it starts with spending time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus. It never ends, actually. You never get there where you just know him. Know him. You can still learn more about Jesus. We never get enough. Keep reading the Gospels. (laughs) Don't quit learning about Jesus. And the second basic focus of a disciple of Jesus is, is... Another probably basic thought, (laughs) and that is to become like Jesus. Become like Jesus. Matthew 10, we see Jesus preparing his disciples to be sent out on mission. At one point, he's telling them that they might run into some persecution because they are a follower of him, right? Because they are his followers, 
they're going to run into persecution because he has been persecuted, right? And then he shares this truth in verse 24 of Matthew 10. He says, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. And what is he telling them here? He's telling them that it's okay to be persecuted for following him because he was persecuted. Because that's the goal, right? To be like your teacher, to be like him. And isn't that just an encouraging word that everything that Jesus went through, we can expect to have happen to us? Good thing they were all, all good things, right? That was a joke. Thank you, Dan, for laughing extra on that. That helps. That's, that's helpful. Um, another place, Luke 6, Jesus teaches in verse 40. He says, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. That actually is the goal of being a disciple. That is the goal of discipleship, right? Learning to be like your teacher. Michael Heiser in his article, What Does God Want? He defines following Jesus as imitating or imaging Jesus. Now this, this word imaging kind of caught my attention because this isn't a normal word that we might use in talking about um, following Jesus, but, but imaging, think about it. Imaging is something that we do when we go to the doctor. Maybe we have a broken bone and they image, they radiology, they're, they're looking at um, a snapshot of some part of your body so that doctors can examine a visual re representation of that part. Now, they don't actually look at the part, right? They're looking at a representation of that part. It's a clear enough view of that part that someone can examine it and find the truth about it, right? We are imaging Jesus. It's what we mean when we say we hope when people look at us that they see Jesus. <laughs> we're not actually seeing the physical Jesus, but we're, we hope to represent him. We, we hope to represent him to the people around us so that they can come to know Jesus, right? Now, the truth is that we cannot live into this image of Jesus on our own. We can't just decide one day to live like Jesus, <laughs> right? No matter how much practice we put into it, we will never fully represent Jesus well, right? And yet there are so many scriptures that seem to put that as an expectation. Even Jesus, he says, do this, do that, because I do this, I do that. If you do this, <laughs> if you do likewise, you'll be blessed. I mean, those kind of thoughts are in scripture. So what gives? How do we do this? <laughs> well, I think what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 actually helps us. Paul says in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. What is Paul saying? Something happens when Jesus enters our life. Something new happens when Jesus enters our life. It's not that we all of a sudden get super religious and can fix all of our own problems, right? The good news, the gospel about Jesus is a story of transformation, isn't it? It's not a story of religion. It's a story of transformation. Our lives aren't changed because we're working really hard at it. Our lives change because we're spending time with Jesus. <laughs> we're spending time in his presence and things start changing in our lives. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. He actually presents an interesting idea here. And he, he says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, this passage is talking about a time when Moses would go into the tent of meeting and he would spend time in the, the presence of the Lord. And when he would come out from that tent, <laughs> from being with the Lord, his face literally glowed, right? Literally glowed. The people could tell that he had been with God because he looked different. His face was 
glowing. <laughs> but the hard part was the glow would start to fade as soon as he left the presence of God. And in Moses' time, there was really no way to stay in the presence of God, right? So you know what Moses did? In order to keep people from seeing the glow fading, Moses would put a veil over his face. He didn't want other people to know, right? But do you know something really, really cool? <laughs> in our era, with the Spirit coming and indwelling in every believer, we actually can be in the presence of God always, right? In the life of believers, the Lord is ever-present. We are always with him. And as we spend time with him, we are transformed from the inside out. Transformed. Not something that we do, but something that God does in us, that God does through us. I mean, this ever-increasing glory that Paul's talking about, the glow that does not fade. It's really cool to think about. A disciple of Jesus is a student, an apprentice of Jesus who embraces the life and teaching of Jesus, striving to be like Jesus in every area of his life. And praise be to God, as we trust in him, as we spend time with him, he actually does a work in us and through us to help us to become more and more like him. Following Jesus means becoming more like Jesus. Now, is this, is this something that happens to us and we never, ever fall back into our old ways? <laughs> of course not. We still have a choice in the matter, and sometimes we choose to do something other than what we should do, right? And, and we see this discussion even openly discussed in letters of Paul to the church. Look at Colossians chapter, chapter 3. What is Paul encouraging us as followers of Christ to do? Verse 1, it says, Since then... You've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When you choose to follow Christ, you die. <laughs> Your way ends. Your old life is gone. Jesus is your life now. That's, that's being a follower of Christ. That is being a disciple of Jesus. But the people that Paul is talking to in this letter is struggling with this letting go of the old life, right? They're struggling with the ways of old. Verse 7, Paul says, You used to walk in these ways in the life, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. What's he saying? That you won't ever have the old life creep back up into your life? No, he's talking about Choosing a different way. Not allowing the old way to define you. You are now in Christ, right? Choose his way. Embrace his life. Continue to choose to follow Jesus. Don't let yourself get back into the old ways, right? And this really leads us to the third focus that a follower of Jesus would be about. In John 14, 12, Jesus makes this astonishing statement. He says, Very truly I tell you, talking to his disciples, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing, and when they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Isn't that the craziest thought ever? <laughs> that we could do greater things, greater works than Jesus? And yet Jesus invites us as his followers to partner with him to continue his work, right? Of bringing the kingdom of God, thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not just morals, but actually following his ways and drawing people into the kingdom of God. 
drawing people to Jesus, drawing people to allow him to be their king, doing particular things, sharing him with particular people, right? Do you believe that God has called us to do this? Look at the words of the resurrected Jesus in John 20, verse 21. He says, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and now if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Isn't that a crazy thought? That Jesus is sending us to represent him in the world? That Jesus is sending us into this dark and hurting world to do his works, redeeming the world around us? And just as Jesus called people to follow him during his time, first century, doing his ministry on the earth, come follow me, his, was his call, Jesus is inviting us to do the same thing, <laughs> to be like him, to be with him, to do the works that he did. Do you believe that? One final note here. I think it's worth reminding us that we do not follow Jesus in an effort to get him to love us an effort to get him to receive us, accept us, forgive us. And because we live in this performance-driven culture, I think we can easily fall into that trap, right? That somehow what we do is what God gets pleased about, and then he, then he likes us, right? But the reality always is salvation is always a free gift of God. Salvation is always a free gift of God. Ephesians 2, Paul says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It doesn't cost us anything. <laughs> when we trust in Jesus, we become a new creation. We have a new spiritual identity. And as a result of our salvation, then we're able to do the work. Living as a disciple of Jesus is a response to what God has done. A response to his love, a response to his forgiveness, a response to his acceptance. Again, Paul Heiser says, discipleship, helping others grow towards God, is something we do as a result of believing the gospel. Right? We imitate Jesus to show our love for him and for God. Jesus was the ultimate imager of God, so we want to live the same way. It always starts with God, <laughs> and it's our response to what he's done in our lives. True? And so it's important as followers to continue to remember that this is not our work. We don't do this. <laughs> This is something that he did for us. Jesus came and he died for us. And now we have this amazing opportunity to live for him. Doing the things that he calls us to do. This morning, as we contemplate being a follower of Jesus, I think it is so healthy for us to do that within the context of the table where we remember his body that was broken for us, as we remember his blood that was spilled for us. Jesus doesn't say, come all of you who are already good or you who are already qualified to be my disciple. That's not what he says. Matthew 11, Jesus says in verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Come, all those who are weary, all those who are tired of the ways of this world, all those who desperately need the life that God is offering them. Come, come to him, and you will find rest for your souls. This table and what it offers is for everyone, isn't it? Everyone is welcome to partake, to receive what Jesus is offering. Everyone is being called to be a follower of his. And so we celebrate that this morning. I encourage you as we enter into a time of communion, prepare your hearts. Process through in your mind, in your hearts, what it is that Jesus did for us the work that he did for us so that we might have hope, so that we might have rest, <laughs> so that he might actually use us in unbelievable ways, right? So we're going to sing a song to help us prepare our hearts for this time. As you're ready, come and receive the elements. Hold on to them. We'll take them together. The elements are gluten-free. The cups are double-stacked, so make sure you take both of them, the bread and the juice. And if you don't feel like you're able to come forward this morning physically, uh, Wayne will be over here looking for, for you. Just raise your hand, and he'll bring the elements out to you. Let's worship in this time, shall we? Let's remember the amazing God that we serve. And his willingness, not only to save us, but to use us in incredible ways. It's mind-boggling, actually. Would you stand with me as we, as we worship this morning and prepare our hearts for communion?
come to the fountain Dip your heart in the stream of life Let the pain and the sorrow Be washed away In the waves of his mercy As deep cries out to you hold the elements in your hands Christ that Jesus paid for us what are you receiving from him this morning thought about that some of you might be receiving his love and forgiveness maybe he's brought something to mind that he wants you to confess maybe you're receiving his love and forgiveness for the first time and he's becoming your Lord and Savior. Did you receive that from him this morning? And give him praise. Some of you may have already received your salvation or even forgiveness for things that you've done. <laughs> Maybe this morning you're just tired of the struggle. Maybe there's something else brewing deep inside your soul where you're tired of trying to follow Jesus in your own strength. And he's calling you to be your Lord, King. Is that what you're receiving today? Jesus the King? Receive what he desires to give you today. As we spend time receiving these elements, would you be willing to have a conversation with him about what you want to receive from him? Maybe Savior, maybe Lord. We receive it from him this morning. In 1 Corinthians 11 says, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you eat and be thankful for what he's done? supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me drink and be thankful Lord God we do desire to follow you Lord we are so thankful for what you have done for us your willingness to die for us, your body broken, your blood spilled, so that we could have a life with you. But God, help us as we choose you as Savior, as we receive you as our Savior into our lives. Lord, help us as we choose you as King, as Lord. We receive you as the Lord of our lives. And we trust that your ways are so much better than ours. Your thoughts are so much higher. 
trust you, Lord, with our very lives. We give you praise. And then your son's great name that we pray. Amen. People of God, <laughs> we serve a God that desires much more than we could ask or imagine. And we can trust him with our lives. So this week, let's lean into him. Would you spend some time reading the Gospels? Spend some time looking at him, learning about him, being saturated by his desires. Ask him what he desires from you this week. And then truly listen. God is good. God can be trusted. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You are sent. <laughs>